0: Hello fellow communicators and welcome to stories lived stories told a podcast hosted by me Abby in collaboration with the CMM Institute for personal and social evolution as always this podcast uses the coordinated management of meaning or CMM theory to teach mindfulness around our interactions recognizing that our social worlds are created in the small moments and how we choose to show up in them. CMM states that persons in conversation co-construct their own social realities and are simultaneously shaped by those social worlds. We take this to mean that we are participants in our social worlds, not passive observers, and therefore have a responsibility to create the best social worlds that we can. CMM is a complex theory, but here we are trying to break it down into bite-sized pieces so that each of us can actually start using it in our own lives. Check out the other mini-sodes I've already released for more on the models, languages, and tools of this theory. Today, we are discussing what it looks like to show up mindfully to our interactions with others. We're going to be reflecting on my recent conversation with Reverend Sarah Hayden for some examples, so I'll include a link to that episode in the description if you haven't listened to that one yet. CMM has the explicit goal of making better social worlds, so I also want to frame this episode in those same terms. My hope, is that this episode can contribute to the creation of a better social world for all of us by inviting us to think critically about our own interactions, encouraging us to be more mindful and providing tools and examples for understanding CMM in practice. So with that, let's get started. First, what is mindfulness? Great question. Mindfulness is being aware, conscious or present. Rather than going into an interaction on autopilot, being mindful would look like being more intentional about how you're showing up. Mindfulness is about paying attention. And for me, one other layer of mindfulness is that it's not just noticing, but noticing without judgment. I think that mindfulness includes being forgiving with yourself. Maybe you recognize you are Contributing to a pattern in a way that you don't really want to, and you could label that as bad and beat yourself up about it. Or, you could be more mindful and recognize it still, acknowledge it without labeling it, and focus on the change you want to make instead. A good question to ask ourselves is, am I being mindful in this interaction? And better yet, what does it look like for me to be mindful in an interaction? All right, now that we have a defined mindfulness, let's weave it into CMM. So very early on in the podcast, we talked about the four claims of CMM, four ideas that build on each other to cover the core concepts of the theory. The first claim says, our communication creates our social worlds. The second says, the stories we tell differ from the stories we live. The third says, we get what we make. And the force says, get the pattern right, create better social worlds. And that's the one I want to talk about more today. Get the pattern right, create better social worlds. Claim four, get the pattern right, create better social worlds, is where mindfulness really comes into play. I think mindfulness is a first step for anyone who's wanting to incorporate CMM into their lives to improve their social worlds. If you aren't aware of your own behaviors or patterns or choices, then there's just no way to change them. You're not even aware of them. So it starts with mindfulness. And in her book, Compassionate Communicating, Because Moments Matter, Kim Pierce reminds us that mindfulness along with compassion take practice. And for our purposes, this mindfulness is specifically a mindfulness to act with greater wisdom and compassion in our interactions, as she puts it. That is the thing to be mindful of in CMM terms. In the last mini-sode, I talked about some questions that we can ask ourselves in our interactions. And these are questions that can help us to increase our mindfulness. When we ask questions like, what am I creating? And how can it be better? It sounds really too simple, but if our desire is to change our patterns, then showing up mindfully where you previously were not showing up mindfully is already a change and a step in the right direction. If we really are working towards claim four, get the pattern right, create better social worlds, then showing up mindfully is the first step in beginning to find what that right pattern is for you and your social worlds. We've talked before about how you can only control yourself and make changes in your own behavior, and you can't force anything on anyone else. And that's a real challenge, because the way CMM understands our social worlds is that we make them in collaboration with other people. So not being able to control other people means that you might be showing up mindfully, but the other people might not be showing up as mindfully as you are, and that can affect the social world that you end up creating, right? But If we are looking at our interactions as a pattern or something that two people make together and equally contribute to, then if you stop doing your part to contribute to that pattern, then it changes the whole pattern. Like if two people are hitting a tennis ball back and forth, if one person stops hitting the tennis ball, then the game's over. Same with CMM. So even if you can't make your partner, your conversational partner, stop hitting the tennis ball you stopping hitting the tennis ball changes the pattern enough on its own, at least as a starting place. Let's consider an example from my conversation with Sarah. So in part two of our conversation, Sarah talks about her experience of talking to people on planes. She finds that people will tell you really personal and intimate things in those kinds of situations. And she knows this to be true because she creates the space for it intentionally. In this way, Sarah is being mindful about how she shows up to those conversations. Think about it. If we're on a plane and the pattern is person one smiles at person two, person two smiles back, person one asks a question, person two responds, but doesn't continue the conversation. Person one and two don't interact the rest of the plane ride and no connection happens. I think this same pattern could happen in so many different contexts. We all have experienced it, you know, a moment where we choose not to take that extra step to engage. And listen, sometimes we're not in a mood to engage with others and need to be in our own mental space, and that's perfectly good too. But if we have the desire to create connection, then a change in the pattern could occur in this example when person two responds to person one's question. Then instead of disengaging, Further the conversation by asking person one a question too. And it might not go further than that, but there's at least a chance now. With the first pattern, there's no chance at all of any connection happening. That's kind of a silly example, but I think it demonstrates what I'm trying to say. The other layer here is that in moments of disconnection, when we opt out, sometimes I don't think that happens because people don't desire connection but more so because they don't know how or don't have the space to lean into connection. So let's go back to Sarah's example. She talks about creating space, mindfully, intentionally, because she wants these other people that she's around, even random people on a plane, to feel heard and valued. And even if, like she says in her experiences, that maybe she's the one mostly listening while the other person's talking— That doesn't mean she's not still an active part of the interaction because as she described, so much of the interaction is actually her being the one to create the space for the other person to feel like they can share. I know this to be true and I wonder if you find that also in your own experiences that I and probably you and every single person wants to be heard. And listen to and for someone to show interest and genuine curiosity and they want to share their thoughts and feelings and whatever. But the thing that usually stands in the way of that is not having the space for it, right? Not feeling like it's welcome to share, not feeling like it's safe to share, whatever reason. So at first glance of conversations we see or we're a part of, it's easy to assume that the person doing most of the talking is in control of the conversation. But there's more going on behind the scenes usually that we don't see if we aren't looking for it. Conversation is a dialogue, right? And we use that language as opposed to a monologue. If a monologue is just one person speaking, there's no interaction, no collaboration, no back and forth dialogue is between multiple people. So it's about happening between two people who are, as CMM would put it, co-constructing or co-creating the space of the conversation. So it's just as much about how the listener shows up to the conversation as the talker does. And then those roles are going back and forth when it's a dialogue, of course, because both parties are speaking and listening. Here's an example I have experienced. So I really care about not being on my phone when I'm with other people. This is kind of my version of Sarah's example. I want to be a good listener to people and give them the space, and part of that is because I also want to have the space too when it's my turn, right? But I have experienced giving people my undivided attention and creating the space for them to share and actively listening, and then when the roles are reversed, they don't always show me the same respect, I guess, is how I see it. You know, they pick up their phone, they tune out even for a second, and... I know how it feels as the one doing the sharing that that makes me want to shut down and not feel heard. It makes me not want to share anymore. So, you know, we can't discount the role of the listener and what active, mindful listening can really do to create a safe space for people in our social worlds and in our conversations. So it's this back and forth, this co-construction between both parties of making the space of the relationship or the interaction. One that allows everybody to share and to actually be heard because it's not just the sharing on its own, right? You could talk out loud to yourself, but it's the talking to another person and feeling heard from them and their actions. So it's mindfulness of the dialogue, really, the back and forth. The contributions to the interaction. If that interaction on its own even is one social world, how is that social world being built in that interaction? So what choice are each of the people making to contribute to it? And it seems strange to get so minute, right? Like all the examples we've talked about are so small sounding in the grand scheme of our social worlds, but the truth is that our larger social worlds are built in those small moments Sarah and I talked about it in our conversation, that it's these small moments, what I called bifurcation points. She referred to as fractals, these critical moments that seem insignificant, but are turns, right? Using that language of CMM, they're turns that can alter our course based on how we show up to them and what choices we make. In our conversation, Sarah mentioned her young neighbor and how when he comes to her door, as he frequently does just to ask a question or say hi or just talk. She's always thinking about or being mindful of how she's receiving this little boy and how it will affect him. If I dismiss him and I say I'm busy, or if I greet him with patience, can I show him that he's valued and that his curiosity is good and that he deserves to be paid attention to? One of the big parts of CMM that we talked about in probably every episode is the role of meaning and how... We're attaching meaning and a lot of times conversational patterns maybe or what we know to be right or wrong or okay or not okay, we think maybe is innate existing in the communicative social world we're in, but it's created. We attach meaning to it. And so Sarah is not crazy to ask this question, even though it's such a small seeming interaction is that especially when we're young, I think. Those are the kinds of interactions where we attach meaning. If you're always responded to with impatience and frustration and being dismissed, that's going to teach you what's not acceptable and maybe shut you down and lead you into a life where you you know, don't share or don't express curiosity because what you've been taught is that it's not welcome there. And listen, that's a lot of pressure to put on every little interaction you have. Because the truth is that we can't always get it right, and we're not going to. But we do have choices. And we can try to practice mindfulness. And when we're at our best, really bring that mindfulness and intentionality to our interactions. Because Sarah really is right that the way she engages with her young neighbor is meaningful and does impact him. Is she dismissing him? like every other adult in his life, and reinforcing that message to him? Or is she the one person who gives him space and attention? Or is he surrounded by wonderful adults that are doing that all the time? I don't know. It's true for kids, for sure, like I talked about those developmental years. But also for adults, we can be retaught and relearn new rules as agreed upon in our social worlds. We're always learning what's okay and what's not okay in our social worlds by the way people engage with us. And we can also be the ones to teach others what's okay, that sharing is okay, being vulnerable is okay, that being honest is okay. If we can be mindful about creating spaces for people, then we can teach them something. You know, again, we are creating our social world and at the same time being affected by the social world. This is a great example of that is that the way other people show up to us can reinforce how we experience our social world and how we show up, even if that's a challenge because maybe the rest of the social world isn't really working towards being mindful, that we kind of have to go against the grain and bring mindfulness intentionally to the social world, we can still affect it in that way. So try that this week. How can you be mindful in your interactions, especially the small ones? How can you be kind to yourself when you don't get it right every time? I want to leave you with some words from Kim Pierce's book. She says of CMM and mindfulness that part of the task is to compassionately and lovingly hold yourself wherever you are in this evolutionary journey. And to compassionately and lovingly hold others wherever they are in their evolutionary journeys. It takes time. But my hope is that this is what this podcast is for. All of us together on our evolutionary journeys into better social worlds, holding each other with mindfulness. Thanks for showing up, fellow communicators. This has been Stories Lived, Stories Told, and I'll see you next time.